0: Welcome to the Talking Recruitment podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives, and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome along to the, to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry. I'm the REC Chief Executive, and I'm delighted that you've chosen to join us again for another episode of the pod as we work our way through this very strange year, hopefully towards a year of opportunity in 2021. Busy times at the REC, of course. Uh, just last week, we launched our six-point plan for recovery to government. A really uh, critical issues around uh, maintaining online, re- online right work checking, reducing the barriers to employment and things like employers and And, uh, in particular the challenges I know many uh, recruiters are facing with statutory sick pay exposure at the moment. Uh, Lots of uh, really detailed stuff that we're picking up week to week and day to day with government at the REC. Um, But also important that we do our part as recruiters. I'm really pleased that the REC has been uh, approved as a gateway provider for the uh, government's Kickstarter uh, Youth Employment Scheme. That means uh, if you have maybe one or two opportunities in your business that you might like to access supported employment for a young person uh, through the government scheme, you can do that through the REC uh, rather than having to have 30 uh, placements in your own business to go direct so do get in touch if that's of interest we have uh, over 60 uh, placements already promised by REC members and uh, that's a really good sign that recruitment uh, recruitment is part of the solution to where we are now Uh, uh, a view that we've heard expressed repeatedly by ministers in REC activity in the last few months but something that we need to to really keep hold of. Uh, Thinking about our path back just uh on the 13th of uh, November, we saw the latest edition of the Jobs Recovery Tracker. Uh, lots of really good coverage on that. A Nice write-up on the uh, BBC website, which is good to see recruiters being turned to as jobs experts. Um, the interesting theme there was that the number of job adverts has actually risen to pretty close to the pre-pandemic impact level back in March, but with a really wide variation between sectors and between regions. On sectors clearly the areas that you would expect doing well and are probably slightly boosted by the traditional Christmas rush at the moment and areas like logistics uh, but, uh, but regionally a real sign that uh, London and many other metropolitan city centres are not doing as well as uh, areas where perhaps people drive to work on Business parks on the edge of town, or in, even out into the uh, into the country, whereas whereas uh, cities are struggling due to the impact on public transport. Of course, all this data done before the latest four week. Uh, lockdown in England so we'll have to wait and see how that affects things but a clear sign that the regional and the sectoral spread of the impact of the pandemic is very very clear really interesting data there all on the REC website for you to have a look at rec.uk.com Finally, we're uh, just in the throes of analysing the data from the uh, recent REC member survey. We've already done surveys of of consumers, of applicants and of uh, client businesses as part of our major new campaign to look at the economic and social value that recruiters generate. It's really about talking to clients about why using a recruiter uh, makes sense for their business, for productivity and for engagement, but also makes sense for government to look at the the value recruitment uh, generates for the UK economy differently. That's part of a really wide-ranging programme of activity that we've uh, set up for the REC in 2021, as we look to help the industry bounce back from what's been a -a 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 tumultuous year. Just recently, I've written to all REC members setting out our plans, and all of our team are really keen to talk to members about what we can do to support you in 2021, and how how you can get involved in what we're doing. So from that point of view, really keen to make sure that you see and are excited by what we're doing. The REC, of course, has always had your back as as recruiters and will continue to do so going into 2021. Now, let's turn to... uh, our guest for the podcast today and the discussion that we'll have. I'm really delighted to welcome Anthony Grupo, the uh, CEO of Marsh Commercial to the pod. Uh, Anthony has been a visionary leader in insurance and risk for many years, but he's also a published author and uh, a real thinker on issues of uh, leadership and uh, shaping your reality, helping you achieve your goals. So Anthony, delighted to have you along to the REC pod today.
1: Neil, thank you. It's an honor. I have, uh... I'm just a real big fan of what you're doing in REC, just listening to all the exciting things that you have going right now. Congratulations and kudos to to you and REC.
0: Well, that's uh, very kind of you to say, Anthony. Um, Why don't we kick off by giving uh, listeners maybe a feel for for where you're coming from? Because, of course, uh, at the REC, we work with Marsh Commercial and have done for many years in terms of making sure REC members have access to uh, really good quality insurance support. But uh, your story a lot deeper than uh, than that what's your what's your leadership journey been been like and how have you you ended up in this position of being uh, being a published author on the subject
1: no thank you neil i'll try to be succinct because i'd much rather have a conversation with you than talk about myself but you know i come from from very humble beginnings i grew up in a small rural town in in pennsylvania in the united states and in fact if you if i were to take you there the landscape and the geography looks very much like uh, like England in, in a lot of areas in the UK. I guess in some regards, that's probably why when people came to, uh, to the United States and America, they called it New England. So my path is really, as I said, came from humble beginnings and actually worked on on construction. Uh, my family was blue collar and you know, went to the university at night and worked several different jobs. And you know, you, you progress through. And I learned at a, a young age it's about servant leadership and and trying to help others. So you know, I have a background obviously in insurance and risk, finance and operations, and just try to help organizations organically grow and help people find a good career path wherever they are. You know, the books happened by some, in some regard. My first book was really people asking me to tell the story and and talk a little bit about vision and, and entrepreneurial spirit. And by the time I got to my sixth book, uh, you know, it, it really took on a, an energy. And I was really blessed to, to meet some great people around the world. And, and you hope that um, you just do the best you can for people that you serve.
0: This has been a unique year for those of us who hold leadership positions. Um, you used the phrase servant leadership a moment ago, and I'm, I, you know, I'm very, uh, very much committed to, to that kind of principle of helping our colleagues to achieve their best and the best for, uh, and therefore the best for, uh, for us as a group. Uh, whether that's, you know, from my perspective, the REC team or the REC membership as a whole or the contribution the REC membership makes to UKPLC but of course in a year like this one of the major things that i think many leaders will be experiencing is a sense that their resilience is being strained like never before what are your thoughts on how leaders can maintain that resilience in a in a period like this one
1: yeah and i and i think as i answer it neil it's not just what we can do during global pandemics but how we handle life in general, adversity, and, 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 and barriers and bridges. When I was asked to to move to United Kingdom from America, when Marsh Organization called me and said, do us a favor and would you change countries? Give it a go in the UK to help Marsh Commercial. At that moment, we all make decisions, don't we? Is to go to a, a new adventure and try something new. And what, what I found out was that no matter where you stand on Earth, people have the same wants and needs. So your question to resilience is one that, how do you see yourself? If you see yourself in every agenda, if you see how everything is going to impact you, whether it's a pandemic or whatever adversity might happen, that will eventually break us down, make us a tad bit selfish. And in fact, we can lead from the wrong end of the spectrum. So I look at that crisis and, and take myself out of the agenda and say, how will this impact all the people that I'm responsible to serve? You know, Marsh Commercial is over 2,700 colleagues in, in 50 different locations across, across our country in the UK. And you have to make that decision right then is, can it be about others? Now, once you do that, resilience becomes a bit easier because you don't have time to whinge and worry about yourself because you have to think about the families and those you serve so i would give i would say three things when it comes to resilience one is keep a balance mindset and consistent energy and two it apply it to routine that is healthy don't take yourself too seriously don't beat yourself up when things don't go exactly right Don't try to over control and be open and flexible as a stoic, you know, philosophers would say be open to adventures that are not self manufactured. And I think that'll help us with resilience.
0: That's fascinating. Anthony. And if I think about that, there's, um, there's a phrase I've often rest on, which is control the controllables. And, and that, that sense of, what tools do I have right now to affect my destiny and the challenges that I have in the REC or in any role I'm doing, and particularly the challenges that that colleagues have. And it sets a, a new light into an area where I think management and leadership thought, at least in the UK, has needed to move on for a while, which is, you know, if you go back to March and April, there was a lot of discussion about values and values-led uh, leadership. On the other end of that, you quite often have people uh, discussing, you know, values in the kind of CSR context. You know, this is what we do once we've made our money. Yeah. Uh, but a sense from what you've said is that that values-led approach to leadership is innately commercial, in your thinking, as well as uh, moral.
1: It is. See, I don't think the two can be separated because I'll give you a simple premise that I, I try to follow. For me, it's never about who's right. It's about what's right. Because when you start to make it about who's right, then the influencer, the persuader, because look, you and I have had this discussion, right? I certainly admire your leadership style. And, and, and I know a lot of leaders at REC who are, who are gifted and are constantly trying to do the right thing. And what happens then is, if we, if we think about that, we're almost four people all the time in leadership. We're facilitators, we're strategists, we're consultants, and we are deal closers. And those four intertwine inside of us. And I think that when you look at it that way, and you try to do what's right, not who's right, you're not prone to favoritism, and you're not prone to just profit. The profit comes when you do the right thing. But I see too many leaders who just manage by balance sheet, forecast. And look, we're a big company, right? Marsh and, and the Marsh family of companies, 100 countries, 75,000 people when you count all of us. And yet, when the pandemic hit, Dan Glazer, our, our chairman and, and CEO, said, no one will lose their job in Marsh, commercial, uh, in Marsh family of companies because of a pandemic. Now, what happened? That was the right thing to do. And everyone immediately could breathe a sigh of relief and go on. So I think that's where we have to find that energy, right? That we have to find that internal fire that says, ah, look, no matter what is thrown at you, you can handle it. And we've proven it. So if we've gone through a pandemic and all this, imagine the next time something comes up, I think we've pretty handled some pretty tough stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that piece about humanity really matters, um, and it, it, to a certain extent, of course, we, we've been given a, a tool by the pandemic, which is that we've invited colleagues inside our homes for several months. It's easier to to find time in people's diaries that you might otherwise not have uh, reached out to or talked to. But if you're in that space of you're know, feeling the P and L pressure, as as all. Senior managers and leaders do, and you've traditionally been that kind of balance sheet manager. Wow. What are the one or two things that you'd recommend that help people begin to start off down a path of maybe a more humanity-led, values-led approach to achieving, yeah, success, including kind of commercial success.
1: Sure. And, and let me lay it out in some simple, some simple bullet points, because sometimes people, when they're, when they're faced with that, fear becomes, becomes almost a paraly, paralyzing factor. And, and I define fear as total of lost moments. That's the only thing we should worry about. Do we lose a moment? So here's the, here's the tips I would use. Look at your leadership style and those around you, and do you truly have the right people around you? To serve as advisors. Do you have people around you that supplement maybe that area that you're not the best at? I try to have a leadership council that's very diverse. We talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, and the biggest driver of it is diversity of thought. That's why diversity and inclusion is so strong. Now, the second piece in then is build a strategic plan that doesn't crush your soul. So don't Just have goals, objectives, strategies, and actions, and tasks that are owned by individuals. As a CEO, you don't have to own everything. You don't have to control everything. So build a strategic plan that's goal-oriented as far as you can see with a goal, an objective, and an action, and start to execute. The third thing is research development. What do you need to research and develop to prepare for the future? People ask me all the time, well, And we may even discuss this, you know, you and I, if we have a chance is, well, what would the new world look like? Well, what do you want it to look like? You don't have to stand and wait because the people that create momentum in an, in an R and D phase, create action, create energy and create solutions. The next piece is looking at your resources. What are your internal and external resources that can be used to create a more flexible, a more creative, more energetic, and a more outcome-based environment. And the last piece is outcomes itself. What do you want as an outcome? I can't tell you, Neil, you've seen it, right, as a leader. How many people have no idea of their succession plan? They don't even, and it should be done at every level, and then recruit that way. Who do we need to come into the organization? And that new energy, when that gets fired up, it blows through any of the, of the smoke of adversity because everyone is driven by a passion that is both personally and professionally integrated, and that's—it's as simple or as difficult as that.
0: That's fascinating, and given that you you hinted at it in in your uh, short list of bullet points there, you know one of the things that's on everyone's minds in recruitment right now is well, what what does this market look like going forward in terms of not just the impact of kind of the pandemic and how we ban- bounce back from it but the kind of uh, acceleration that pan- the pandemics given the kind of capital investments that firms in every sector are making in technology but also what you might call the kind of hyper of the economy in terms of people spending more time working from home but equally the kind of the longer commutes and the and the wider labor markets that that, that we're going to see as people suddenly think well I only have to do one or two days a week in London, I could live in Edinburgh or Belfast or Dublin and hold down that job. So there's a whole lot of moving parts in terms of work and how people work and their interaction with technology. Um, to your mind, what are the things that leaders should particularly bear in mind when they're looking at the kind of, what is quite a misty crystal ball if we're trying to look into it?
1: Yeah, yeah, listen, it's, it's the question of the ages right now, isn't it? So I, I tried to break this down recently in a in digestible format. I think that as I talk to visionaries and entrepreneurs from around the world and, and, and also the, the people that every day have to execute on tasks. We've proven now that we can get tasks done working from anywhere. What remains to be seen is can we implement strategy, creativity and build, keep building upon that. It was always the people, it was never politicians. It was never, it was always the people that solved the problems. So what, what place before us is this? Let's take the traditional office world. It most undoubtedly will become a place of training and collaboration. Satellite environments will, will rise up where people can meet to collaborate, to train, and to interact because we know we need that social interaction and we need that to happen. The work from anywhere is going to come down to, and you have to ask yourself, those of you that are listening to the podcast today, ask yourself two questions, and they're tough. How far do you trust yourself? How are you working right now in this environment And do you trust yourself to stay consistent to deliver because this could last, you know, for for a long time? And even if it ends, it's going to adjust how we work. And then two, how do you trust others? How do you hold them accountable? I was talking to uh, a leader uh, the other evening in Asia. And she said to me that the only people she trusts are those to have as much to lose as she does when things go wrong. And I thought, wow, it's a long way to go. Because if I had to think about that, that circle of, of friends, and that's a small group. So we have to trust people. We have to say that, look, the underachiever, See, let, let's, let's be honest. Let's get to the root of this thing. What people say is, well, how am I going to know people are working? How do I trust them? If they're not working in the office, they're only working one day a week. How will I know? Well, how do you know now? Because an underachiever will always find a way to beat you, even if they're inside the office and you can see them from across the hall. So how will you trust? How will you hold people accountable? How will you give them opportunities? How will you reward the overachievers? And how will you recruit? And at the end of the day, you ask yourself the same question. Do I have it? Do I have the stomach for this fight? How long am I going to stick in it? Am I trying to mentor and recruit successors? And all of a sudden, an energy created, and I don't care if it's in somebody's kitchen or in somebody's boardroom, because the living room and the boardroom provide enough energy for the human being to achieve. So I would tell everyone in the podcast to stop worrying about the four walls and start thinking about the walls inside your mind.
0: I think that that is… Absolutely spot on I, I you know I was very struck uh, at uh, our conference in September by the concept of you know not trying to predict what's going to come around the corner, but just being ready to be adaptable to that, and I think that speaks to to everything you've just said anthony and in the kind of the world of the small business. Uh, the owner-operator business, the family business, where there's big personal impact of the leader. You can see, I I think, quite easily how that flows through. But, of course, you've grown up in, you know, insurance firms, by definition, tend not to be mom-and-pop shops on high streets. They tend to be, as you said, yourself, of Marsh Commercial, really big, chunky businesses in 2,700 people in in the UK. How do you make sure that personal, humanity, values-led approach percolates out into big organizations like your own, in fact?
1: Yeah, no, so great question. Thank you. So it's not the world I came from. I didn't come from the the world I'm in now. It's not the world I came from. So I see everything as small, intimate business. I remember starting a company from scratch where it was just my daughter and I. And Tara was my business manager for many years. And we started the business from scratch and, and, and built it up. And I worked in very, very small firms coming up in my career. So I kept that same cultural aspect in my day-to-day life. So I'll give you an example. When the pandemic struck, I opened up a, a, uh, another pri- a private number in, in London in my residence and just said to colleagues, you can call that number anytime. Whatever you wanna talk about, you can call this number. And at first we started out by, by giving, uh, you know, Every evening from for two hours and another hour on Saturday. And and now what's happened is it caught on so well with people talking and thinking that now my regional CEOs also open up their lines uh, in the evening for X time. We created leadership labs to do for any colleague. Because Think about this. Neil. know, right in the past, we got it wrong. We made the decision who should go on for development and training based on certain goals they established. It's like, what are we doing? Like, let's open up leadership labs and let all 2,700 people come on a Zoom call and, and, and train and learn. And you empower people in the field to make decisions because sometimes, and you know, I'll admit it, is that sometimes people get in a command and control environment. And instead of just opening up and trusting, knowing we can, we can take risk, we try to control risk. And when we control it, we probably miss some good solutions. So I don't think it's about big or small companies. I think it's about how the leaders approach the people inside that company and themselves. That is
0: exceptionally powerful because you know, the pressure, you know, going back to the example you, you picked up on earlier, the pressure that exists on on people to manage by, by the P&L, manage by the balance sheet, or at least what people see as that pressure, of course, grows as the numbers get bigger. So that sense of having to create almost a a band of brothers and sisters who are viewing things in a similar sort of way seems to me to be a really important part of maintaining the resilience of the whole group, including including that of the leader.
1: Yes, yes. Because I don't look at, look, I have a a great CFO, right, Aranya, who, who, who who works constantly on forecasts and looking at... At the numbers, and as do my regional CEOs and myself and others. I don't look at the zeros. I look at the zero scorecard is what did we push forward by the end of the week? You know them, right? You see the people that they're great at process. That's what I love about our workforce in the UK. You know, in America, when I first moved to the UK, I thought, God, it seemed slower to me. Like decisions seem slower. But what I realized was it was it was thoughtful, it was methodical, great work ethic, and people were there to do quality jobs. And so, all of a sudden, I'm like, "People are people. It doesn't matter what continent I was standing in. People are people, and they want to do a good job and when you do that, you just keep saying, "Hit your goal, what's your number? where's your pipeline? what's your forecast? You're down four percent Well all of a sudden they they realize that that you're just a pawn on our chessboards they're not we're not in the game with them. we're just moving pieces around, and then we get what we deserve so I, I you know I've come to just when you, you hire good people and trust them and support them and break ties and handle tough questions and be there when things get tough. Well, that's a great place
0: to, to draw it together, that sense of being there when times get tough. I think that... The, for I think for any leader showing up at the the moment our teams need us is is a critical part of it and you know this year more than any has been a test in that regard. Anthony thank you so much for joining us on the pod today but also uh, thank you for the work that uh, Marsh Commercial does with the REC in terms of uh, ensuring we have a, a quality insurance offer for recruiters across the UK.
1: You know thanks Neil but i I really rather not do shameless self-promotion, we're there for any insurance and risk need that that the members need. I think I would just rather express my gratitude and, and humility for, for REC and, and all the client base, because without you, we don't exist, and we'll continue to build and invest on everything you need to be successful. And it's been a real pleasure being here with you, Neil.
0: Thank you, Anthony, and thank you again for joining us. It's been a fascinating discussion for me and I'm sure everyone listening uh, before we close this edition of the the pod let me just uh, remind you that if you've enjoyed it uh, there are a slew of other ones we've been at this since uh, the onset of the first lockdown so this is Episode 45, but if you've uh, a- enjoyed this one with Anthony, why not try it? try episode 43 on building human connections in a technolo- technology-led world with Jane Haynes, uh, Senior Vice President for Talent Leadership and Organizational Development at GSK. Or if you fancy something more uh, public policy driven, why not uh, have a have a look at episode 44 with Tony Carr and Joe Ingold on employability and the necessity of recruitment working with the employability sector and with the government to tackle where we are right now. Uh, really interesting listen and of course uh, relevant to the Kickstarter news which I shared at the top of the pod. So thank you again for joining us today. Thank you to Anthony again and do join us again on another episode of the REC podcast. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, so subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.